We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The trade deadline has passed, but there's a lot of meaningful fantasy baseball left, a lot of baseball to be played in playoff races as well. Here to help me size down the AL East and specifically the Toronto Blue Jays is Joe Rico. Uh, we will talk with him about th- those issues all coming up on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm Jeff Erickson here with Joe Arico. You can catch him on the Fantasy MLB Today podcast at Sports Sport Ethos and Ethos Fantasy Baseball. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for coming on board today. How are you doing? Jeff, I'm, I'm doing fantastic today. It's really an honor to be on with you. I know I just mentioned it before we started, but Rotowire is kind of one of the gold standards in the fantasy world. So it's always great to talk with you and to, to be on the Rotowire network as well. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, you're doing a lot of work. You did the marathon trade deadline special. I was on. Thanks for having me on for that. Super fun. How's the voice? Sounds like you're pretty well recovered now. Yeah, you know, I got the lucky break of waking up on deadline day with a five hour show ahead of me with a bit of a tickle in the throat. In uh, the last few days i've been a bit better but there was a good four or five day stretch where i couldn't really even put out new podcasts i was kind of cheating and putting out uh, the hour-long segments from that show uh so apologies to anybody who usually listens to the new content for me they couldn't get it last week but we're all we're all healed up uh, ready to talk some blue jays talk some american league east and uh, talk some fantasy in general it should be a lot of fun jeff yeah and you do a show every day uh and that that's pretty impressive uh because i know it you start to worry about repeating yourself sometimes, you know, hosting shows on both satellite and doing podcasts. Like, where did I say this? Where did I say that? And all that. Who did I have this person on on this platform before? Uh, I, I, I think it can be a, a bit of a grind. So hat tip to you. You said you've done about 400 shows the last two years. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I think it's 370 or so when you add in the guests episodes and whatnot. It's probably close to 400. But, uh, you know, I mentioned it before we started recording here. It's not like I'm talking about anything that's too taxing on my brain. I know there's a lot of info you have to, to comb through and you want to be giving informed analysis. But at the end of the day, I get to sit down, talk baseball for a half an hour to an hour. And it's it's kind of nice just knowing that at some point during the day, I'm going to have to sit down and talk baseball. And it's, it's honestly become kind of calming for me just knowing uh, that I'm going to have to do that. I get the weekends off, so it's not such a yeah. grind where I never get a day off, but it adds some structure to my day knowing that I'm going to have to record a pod and it's kind of just become a part of the daily routine. I couldn't see myself not recording a pod at this point. Uh, that's kind of where we are now after two years of doing this. Absolutely. And, you know, just even researching for the pod for the broadcast, 
You're reading about baseball. You're checking out baseball stats. You're looking into a player. That's always fun. I mean, that's why we play fantasy baseball in the first place. I would think like we love baseball. We want to read up on a player. We love gaming usually too. There's those two skill sets and off you go. So yeah, it's always a blast. Let's talk uh, blue Jays. They haven't been as fun lately uh, struggling to score runs right now. And that's kind of like one of the hidden underlying factors of this blue Jays season is you always think, Oh, they got this loaded lineup, but it, it hasn't quite clicked on all cylinders all season. No, it hasn't. I think a lot of it has to come back to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But I think if we look at it more from a, a broader perspective, the struggles with runners in scoring position are just ridiculous. Mike Petriello uh, from MLB.com, he tweeted this out two days ago, so the stats might be slightly different. But with the bases empty, we have a 762 OPS, fifth in baseball. With runners in scoring position, we're 28th, uh, 685 OPS. If Toronto does make the playoffs, that would be a bottom 10 OPS with runners in scoring position ever. Uh, for a playoff team and I just I, it's the pitching that's kind of carried them uh, but the offensive struggles have been pretty severe I would say and now losing Bo Bichette over these last couple of weeks has definitely not helped you would not think this is a team that's 15 games over 500 or 14 games over 500 uh, and you know if you want to go to the pitching side they have the best ERA in Major League Baseball with Alec Manoa who is arguably their ace coming into the season having a horrible year so it has been a strange year we've had you know uh, the re-emergence of Whit Merrifield who's been fantastic but then you've also got Dalton Varsho who's been really struggling it's very hard to properly analyze this team and see what they're capable of in September because I think generally you're going to be carried by your pitching in the playoffs and the hitting you need timely hits more so than you need consistent every single uh, every single inning kind of production whereas with the pitching staff I think you know they got a solid four-headed monster there Gosman um Barrios Kikuchi has been just excellent as well he's the best ERA in the second half um so there there's just a lot of weirdness going on with this team and again it's kind of hard to really evaluate where they're going to be but I'm not fully lost hope yet I am a homer I'm wearing my my (laughs) Cosman splitter jersey that they oh nice yeah I'm very happy I got one of these the half white half blue jerseys uh, that they gave away I'm, I'm a homer so i might be a little bit overly optimistic but i still think there's there's a lot of hope considering how strong the pitching staff has been best era in major league baseball somehow yeah uh and that's it's it's kind of funny how that's worked out how how we we haven't expected that as i'm looking vlad just grounded out the second base in the ninth here uh and so many ground balls of vlad i mean that is one of the stories with him he is very hard to to figure out because if you look at his stat cast page, he's still hitting the ball as hard as anybody in the game, really, uh, you know, upper 90, 97th percentile average exit velocity, 98th max exit velocity, uh, 98th expected batting average. Like a lot of those key uh, power statistics on Statcast, he's right at the top. And yet we're sitting here in the middle of August and his war is 0.3 for the season. And now that does get weighed down by the fact that, you know, first basemen are generally punished more uh, from the war metrics than other positions. But He's a guy that we had MVP kind of aspirations for year after year. And maybe it's just the fact that we overrated him a little bit after that uh, season where we played half of our games in Dunedin and in Buffalo. And he ended up hitting 48 home runs and he looked fantastic. But the underlying numbers have always been fantastic. It's just the actual results, which does lead me to think that maybe there needs to be a change somewhere in coaching. I mean, the Blue Jays Twitter hates our, our pitching coach, Guillermo Martinez. Um, and I think it might be time for a switch in the offseason because of the amount of double plays that we hit into is just absolutely absurd. Every time the ball is hit on the ground, it's a double play ball. And I, I, I honestly don't even know how to analyze it, Jeff. With Guerrero, he should be doing a lot better than he is, but the results just haven't been there. And it's the second year in a row where it's kind of a, a down year. I know last year was 
only comparatively speaking a down year because it was still, I think, 33 homers, 100 RBIs, batted 280 or something. It was, for most players, a career year. Uh, but I think our expectations are very high with Vlad Guerrero Jr. We might need to take them down a notch or two uh, going forward. It doesn't help. He wins the uh, the uh, home run derby at the All-Star game, too. And you're like, where is this? Just elevate. Come on. Yeah. And then right uh, after that, he started hitting a few more home runs yes, in the first weeks, and now it's kind of cooled off again. He's very hard to, to analyze. I'm not sure where he's going to go in drafts next year, but you have to figure he's not going to be a first-round player anymore. No, I don't think so. Jay's just lost 4-3 to the uh, uh, Guardians. Guardians have a good young pitching. It's not like a total insult to lose to him, but uh, at the same time, these are games that should be gettable. The team, you know, the Guardians clearly are a team that's uh, – they're not all in for this year. They may not be, you know, you know, they may not be punting, but they're also kind of their, their offense isn't much. They just have good young hitters, uh, good young pitchers. Excuse me. I mean, today we know it's Indergard took care of us, which is just that's not a good young, good or young pitcher. It's baffling, <laughs> but I mean, we saw Gavin Williams just carve us up the other night, and then Tanner Bybee the day after. You know, I was kind of a little bit. Put off by them trading Savali, just thinking they were maybe throwing in the towel, but maybe they don't yeah. need Savali. You know, maybe Savali was somebody who was outperforming his metrics anyway, and they got Kyle Manzardo from it. So, I mean, that young staff, Bieber, I'm not sure what Bieber's going to be going forward, but the future is very bright for them. I love the Manzardo trade. I'm not the biggest prospect guy, but I feel like they got a real life kind of sell high, buy low with Manzardo for Savali there. And I think they're going to be a good team going forward, but it is. It is troubling to see Toronto not scoring any runs against this Cleveland team. Young pitchers, very talented pitchers, but we have a talented enough lineup, you would think, where they would be able to get through that. But here we go. We scored seven runs in this series. It was tough. Seven or eight. I'm not looking at the exact numbers, but we did not have a good offensive showing uh, at all at Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, And I like what Cleveland did, too. I mean, I... They were a game out of the AL Central at the time, so I don't like it from... Like, I don't like like it there because it is, is a white flag trade. But at the same time, I mean, I think they did a very accurate reading of the market and realizing that pitching is at a premium right now. Look how many teams came away wanting from the trade deadline with, you know, needing another starting pitcher. They saw that market. And how else are you going to get a hitting prospect like Manzardo? I, I think they did a good good idea, good job of reading that. Uh, the Josh Bell trade, they got Khalil Watson off of the, for that uh, by agreeing to take on Segura's salary uh, and then cutting the player right away. They didn't even care about having Segura around at all, uh, but they just they bought a prospect basically as far as that goes. So I get it. I see what they're doing, um, but at the same time, it, it, it is still weird because this is such a gettable division too. But uh, you know what? It still might be. I mean, the Twins, I mean, they're struggling against Detroit this week. Uh, they lost. I think they lost two out of three to Detroit. Yeah, I don't really see the Twins as being – maybe they'll sneak in, but I'm, I'm honestly hoping that I, I've seen some playoff uh, brackets of some early versions if the season ended today kind of thing. And I think Toronto would be lined up to face Minnesota uh, in the first round as of right now. So I'll take that as a Blue Jay fan. I think that's the best path for us. But I just don't see them as being uh, that serious of a contender. I mean, both Central Divisions, American League, National League. I'm not trying to disparage your Reds here because they are – probably the best team in the National League Central at this point. But, I mean, do you think we are heading, just as a side note, do you think we're heading towards some kind of realignment for these divisions? I mean, we're going to talk about the American League East today, but uh, every team in the American League East is a better record than every team in the uh, American League Central. I just don't know if that's sustainable going forward, uh, right. how strong the American League East has become. We've had that pure waterfall in the standings most of the year. Um, I, I think it, Right now, and in fact, it was even run differential for a while, but that's no longer the case because the O's passed the race. 
you know, you still had like it, it was pretty crazy how you go one through ten east to central. No, I don't think they'll realign. I mean, I think when they expanded the playoffs, they kind of took the impetus out of that. I mean, it you can still I think they did some balancing there with the schedule. They did the expanded playoffs. I think that's sufficient, but we'll see. I mean, I wouldn't mind just having when maybe when expansion happens, and expansion will happen at some point in time. We're gonna get to 32. Um, it's just it's way more elegant, you know. You don't have to worry about mandatory uh interleague play you don't have to worry about that that yeah you know, that that those sketch the numbers adding up 32 32 is better than 30 i think and there's certainly enough interest demand for it i think i think there's enough talent for it uh, i think it will happen at some point in time uh when that happens maybe you do some realignment um that's usually the kind of what the kind of changer that forces that in the in, in other expansion years we've had that so that, that might be the route they go yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just as an American League East fan, as a Blue Jay fan, I just like to see a bit of an easier path for them. You know, they're 14 games above 500. There's only, I think, six teams with a better record than the Blue Jays, and yet I think they'll make the playoffs, but it's not going to be um, – it's not a guarantee. It's not set in stone, even though we are 14 games above 500. And then you get in, and then you just have that little mini uh, wild card series. It's very tough to compete, and that's why I think you know, the pitching will carry us to some degree. Uh, but that lineup does need to heat up. That lineup really needs to figure it out. We need to get Bobachet back. Dalton Varsho needs to figure it out. Um, I don't really know what it's going to take. And I think maybe it might just be a lost season for a guy like Varsho. But you never know once you get to the postseason. With the amount of pitching that we have, if Toronto was able to pull a deep playoff run, I would not be shocked by it. I, I really wouldn't be shocked by it. If we're able to sneak in, mm -hmm. I could see it. I could definitely see it. But the way that the divisions are lined up, it's tough to be third in your own division, 14 games above 500. It is. It is. Uh, and with the loss today, uh, they're, I think, still a game and a half up on the Mariners. And it's yeah. weird that we're talking Mariners. They've gone on a, a set one seven in a row and nine out of 10 to get to this spot. You know, after they traded away their closer and didn't do any additions at the break, I mean, that trade did add a couple of uh, outfield bats that they can kind of mix and match with a little bit. And with, with Kelnick out, I guess that does. You know, it's adding something, but you didn't really see them as buyers at the deadline. No, I didn't see Seattle as being a team that was going to be competitive really at all. I think with them, with, with Paul Sewald, they figured that they have Munoz, they have Matt Brash. Uh, yeah. With Sewald, he's the oldest of that group. Might as well trade him, uh, you know, get what you can. But I thought that that was going to signal the start of maybe not a fire sale, but I thought Teoscar Hernandez was going to get traded for sure. Uh, with his contract expiring, I wasn't sure. I don't know that they want to re-sign him. I figured that they were going to try and trade him. Uh, I, I don't know how seriously I view Seattle. I mean, they're pitching. You want to talk about great pitching. Yep. Uh, between Gilbert, Castillo, Kirby, it's it's incredible. Um, Logan Gilbert, I mean, I'm forgetting Logan Gilbert. It's very hard to even arrange them in a one through four order for a playoff series. And they're missing Robbie Ray. Uh, I don't even know if Robbie Ray is going to be back. But their, their pitching is very strong. And I think they dealt in that position of strength. The lineup, though, I, I'm, I'm really not impressed by what they're doing. They're a bottom 10 offense in a lot of different categories, and I just don't know if they're going to be able to compete, especially with that ballpark. Uh, I don't know what Seattle is really going to be able to do. I say that, and they knocked out my Jays last year, so who knows what will happen. Right, year. and one of those games was a shootout game, too. That was kind of crazy there, too. So That was, that was brutal. We were up 8 nothing or 9-1 yeah. or something awful, and then there was that collision in the outfield with Springer, and it was just a oh. disaster and on every front uh, for Blue Jays fans yeah. that day. Yeah. Happy memories. Not there. Uh, let's, let's look at a couple of the individual blue Jays here too. You know, let's talk about this offense. Short Springer got kicked out of today's game after arguing balls and strikes. He's it's been a pretty low key disappointing year for him. Uh, a lot of talk on focus on Vlad, but 
Springer's, you know, on a two-year decline. In, in 2021, he had a 907 OPS. Last year, dropped 814. Like, okay, he'll probably bounce back a little bit. No, he's gone the opposite direction. 724 now uh, going into today. Uh, only 14 homers. Uh, the stolen bases at least are there, but uh, almost everything else is kind of negative. Uh, are we just are we at a decline phase in George Springer's career? Yeah, I think we're starting to get there. Uh, he is 33 years old, so he's not you know, that old, but he's going to be 34 uh, in just a couple months. So that'll be his age 34 season next year. It hasn't been an awful year, but it's definitely been the worst year he's had as a Blue Jay, I would say. Mm-hmm. Even if you look at 2021, where he played in 78 games, he gave you 22 home runs. I think that's really it. The power has kind of disappeared. He did hit a home run uh, in yesterday's game, I believe, or was it? The, no, I think it was yesterday's game. Uh, he hit a home run, but 14 homers, 14 steals. Uh, 259 batting average he's fallen out of the leadoff spot which has kind of been his calling card for his whole career uh, he's a leadoff hitter Even when he first came to Toronto they had him fourth or fifth just trying to ease him in because he was injured in that first season but pretty much every single year in Houston if you look at his career uh, starts they're almost always at the leadoff spot so I wonder if that might be something where if he does get back to the leadoff spot whether it's later on this season uh, or if it's the beginning of next year I could see that maybe sparking something in him even though it didn't work to begin the season, I don't know that we're, I mean, there is a decline. There is without a doubt a decline, but I'm not sure if it's a decline to the point where he's not a valuable player. He's still a valuable defensive asset for the Blue Jays. He's still, uh, you know, even though he's not what we are expecting offensively, 14 homers, 14 stolen bases, it's not terrible in the middle of your lineup. I think that maybe if he does get back to the top of that order, we could see uh, some of that old Springer magic. And I wonder, you know, if we get to the postseason, what that, you know, assuming we get to the postseason, what that lineup would look like on the first day if the Blue Jays would stick with Merrifield at the top of that order or if they would revert back to what, you know, George Springer has been used to for his whole career because we know that Springer has been a great playoff performer in his career if they would try and put him in a more familiar situation uh, should the Jays get to the postseason. So I think that might be something to keep an eye on. I think we're definitely getting to the point where the bloom is off the rose for fantasy purposes. I don't know if he's going to be a top 100 pick again. Um, Maybe he's borderline top 100 pick, but from that perspective, he's definitely not as sexy as he once was. But from a real-life point of view, I think he can still be a very, very beneficial uh, asset for the Blue Jays, specifically if he is at the top of the order. Because I know that it wasn't working out before, but that is where he has always been for his whole career, going back 10 years now. So I think eventually we're going to have to put him back at the top, and that could spark something in him. Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly plausible uh, as a solution. The catcher position has been a massive disappointment. Not so much Danny Jansen. He, he keeps getting hurt, including today. Uh, but Alejandro Kirk, huge, huge disappointment. And they traded away Gabriel Moreno thinking partially because they, hey, we've got Kirk and Jansen. We're fine. We don't need Moreno. This is a chance for us to get Varsho a plus defender. Uh, you know, is, is Kirk salvageable? What, what happened here? Yeah, I, th- I think he's definitely salvageable. The plate skills are still very good. 10% walk rate, 11% strikeout rate, still very good. But it's the power. Uh, six home runs in 85 games is not going to cut it. No. And the counting stats have really suffered as well. Like They're shockingly low. He's played 85 games out of, I think, 114 or so. So he's he's played most of the game. For a catcher, that's about as much as you can hope for. 23 runs and 29 RBIs is just awful. But I think that just goes to the whole nature of the offense uh, in general. It's not just Kirk. It's kind of everybody who right. has fallen behind in the counting stats this year. 
Uh, and it goes back to the runners in scoring position number. They can't drive batters in to save their life. They get three hits, <laughs> no runs. And somehow, I don't know how they managed to do it. Uh, three singles where nobody advances more than one base, and then they'll ground into a double play and then a strikeout. It's the whole offense. And I think Kirk has been a product of the rest of the team this year more so than it's just him. Now, that being said, he has struggled. 258 batting average, 346 on base. They're down. They're down numbers. They're somebody that I came into the year projecting as a 300 hitter or very close to it with, you know, close to 20 home runs, 70 ish runs in RBIs. It has been it has been a failure for him. But I don't think that we can fully write off a catcher who is 24 years old. He's going to be 25 in the offseason. But I think there's still a long way to go for Kirk. I do think this is not no trying to fat shame anybody here. I think he could use to lose a couple pounds. I think every single time he hits the ball on the ground, it is a double play. It is without a doubt a double play. Now, we saw it with Vladimir Guerrero a couple of years ago. He came into camp 15, 20 pounds lighter. I think this was 2021. And it really paid off for him, not only in terms of the power, in terms of everything. The base running was better. The whole product defensively was better. So I think Kirk could use to, you know, to lose a couple pounds. And I say that as somebody who could probably lose a couple pounds myself. But I just think that Kirk, that might be something that he needs to consider, that the whole Blue Jays uh, staff needs to consider when they're looking at him. Is that the whole problem? Probably not. But yeah. I think there are certain things that he could be doing uh, that would, probably push the needle forward a little bit more than what we've seen this year because it has been a disappointment even though you know 10 percent walk rate 11 percent strikeout rate is fantastic for anybody but for a catcher but that's kind of where the buck stops in terms of good production from kirk this year yeah uh yeah I, going back to the weight issue i mean I, I know matthew ross uh actually one of my very first uh radio hosts that i did s- segments with and i know he caught he's the one that kind of inflamed that issue in the offseason caught a lot of uh, blowback on that and all that but i mean i think especially in the changes in today's game fewer rest between pitches less recovery time it's a faster game there's more of an emphasis on speed and defense kirk manoa both ill-suited for those changes yeah manoa is oh my god if we're gonna go down manoa we might have to extend the podcast for a while because i could go on and on and on (laughs) well um before you do that we will talk alec manoa but first We're on the Blue Wire Network. Here are a couple of their ads. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. You promised to go on and on. Let's talk a little Alec Manoa. With Alec Manoa, the writing was on the wall coming into the season that maybe he was shooting, uh, you know, overshooting his metrics. And he was. He absolutely was for the last couple of seasons. 
you know, the XFIP, the Sierras of the world were all not a lot higher, but last year he had a 224 ERA. Those metrics were somewhere in like the three, five to, to four range, which is still very good. But there, you know, there's been other concerns besides that as well. The strikeout rate has declined every year he's been in the major leagues, going from 27 to 22 and then down to 18. It's not a lot of wiggle room there for success when you're losing so much from your strikeout rate. And also this year, the walks we saw it today, I think he ended up with yeah. three walks today. Uh, by the time I had shut it off to start prepping for this, it was three walks. For all I know, it could have ended up with five, knowing Manoa, but a 14% walk rate, it's not going to cut it. Now, I aggressively ranked him coming into the season. I think I had him as my 16th or 15th SP, thinking that you know he was just one of those pitchers, like uh, to a lesser extent, like a Jose Urquidy, somebody who just outperforms those metrics, even without a high strikeout rate, and he is somebody who is just going to be able to get by, partly because of just that dog in him factor which i know is not really a real thing but there always seemed to be something that was <laughs> intangible with alec manoa he always seemed to go out there and you know i've mentioned this a few times on my show last year in the all during the all-star game he had john smoltz in his ear while he was mic'd up smoltz was calling his pitches half the time saying throw a slider outside throw you know fastball in whatever and manoa struck out the side even with you know all this commentary in his head and everything going on and just there was something in that moment for me that's just I thought he arrived during I mean he'd already proven himself sure I thought that was when he really arrived as a major league pitcher to show that yes you can have an all-time great hall of famer telling you what pitches to throw bantering back and forth while you're on the mound in the all-star game and then striking out the side I think he did hit a batter in that inning but that's besides the point he was locked <laughs> he was locked in I mean that is classic Alec Manoa hitting a batter yeah but I thought that was kind of the arrival moment for him showing that yes I can be here on the highest stage with people talking in my ear and still go out and strike out three of the best hitters in the world. Now, I really don't know if he has that confidence anymore that he would have had a year and a half ago. In fact, I'd be shocked if he does the way that the last year has gone for him, the last several months of this season. Anyway, I think that the confidence is a huge thing. And I think there might be, you know, besides a potential, maybe a physical factor because the way that he has, you know, lost that strikeout rate, it seems like the control is really gone. Maybe there has been an underlying injury that Manoa hasn't, told the blue jays about and the comp the horrible comp is ricky romero and you can see it you oh, can see it i've heard I don't it a few say that name i've heard it a few trust me i don't want to go down that road <laughs> jeff but as a blue jay fan that's what i see on twitter that's what i hear all the time ricky romero had one or two excellent seasons and then he completely fell off a cliff and part of it was because he had an injury i forget if it was elbow or shoulder that he did not tell the blue jays about when it happened he tried to pitch through it made it worse and worse and then he was never the same. We know Ricky Romero was at one point an all-star, at one point a Cy Young candidate. Same thing with Manoa. And I hope that he's not trying to be that tough guy that he kind of exudes that persona of being the, the big macho guy. If he has some kind of injury that he was trying to pitch through, it wouldn't shock me. So I think that that is a potential. And again, this is total conjecture. I have no idea if he's injured or not. But that might be an explanation for why he was so bad this year. Because I know the projections were calling for a four ERA, a high threes ERA. Nobody was calling for a, what is it right now, 572 ERA. Nobody right. was calling for that. So I think that there is both maybe a combination of maybe an underlying injury, but also some mental issues uh, that he needs to overcome. Maybe he was you know too high in terms of his confidence level, and now it's crashed way too low. So I think he needs to find that middle ground somewhere, and I think he can still be a very effective major league pitcher. He's still, a, what is it, 24 years old, Manoa? 25 years old. So there's still a long way to go before sure. I'm willing to write him off at this point. Yeah, three walks today, but he only went four innings. Needed ninety-three pitches to do it, and that's been one of the stories. Uh, you know, the pitch count gets up high every early on every single start. Yeah. Really tough to watch. Really tough, you know. And I, I didn't have him in a lot of leagues last year. I was all over him. Uh, this year, not as much. 
he was a little bit more expensive. Um, and also the, the metrics, the way he finished last year, you're kind of like, okay, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I don't think we're going to have that really sub really low ERA. It was, it was regressed to what was always the question. And like you said, no one expected this. We expected like high threes, low fours. If we we're, uh, you know, we we're expecting that. And like that, we could have, that would have been great. I would have been happy with that, but uh, we're not getting that. Uh, they're key injuries right now for the blue Jays. Uh, you know, Romano's out and I know they went out and they got, went for Hicks. They, they still have a pretty deep bullpen even with uh, Romano out, but Romano is a, is a big part of that there. Trevor Richards is out. He's actually a pretty big part of that bullpen too. They just lost Kevin Kiermeyer. A lot of pitching his defense. He loses an elite center fielder that hurts Jansen's day to day, Bichette is out. I mean, they have some pretty targeted injuries right now. Yeah, I think Bo is – I saw a report that was either today or yesterday that he was facing – let me just double-check. Uh, not running at full speed yet, but he was uh, hitting in the batting cage as of – actually today. That was mm -hmm. this morning. So I don't think he'll be too far out. Um, Romano worries me a little bit just because of the, the tricky nature of backs, right? Yep. Uh, my dad has had back issues his whole life, and I've seen it with him. Some days are very good. Some days, you know, I mean, he's not a major league pitcher, but some days are very good. Some days are you know manageable with Tylenol. Some days are can't get out of bed. And I don't know the severity of Romano's injury, if it's that bad. He originally injured it in the All-Star game, and then he you know, pitched through it for the last couple of weeks. And I really don't know how serious it is, but just the nature of backs, how finicky they can be in general, makes me wonder that even if he does come back, is he going to be 100%? Is he going to be able to, to give you that high volume? Because Romano is somebody over the last couple of years that the Blue Jays have relied on a lot. Mm -hmm. so specifically last season so he threw 64 innings but it was 36 saves in there a lot of high leverage innings now that doesn't necessarily fall back to the back injury but i think the blue jays were very wise in shoring up that bullpen with swanson in the offseason with hicks with genesis cabrera you know uh, trevor richards has really been good when he's been healthy this year tim Meza has been excellent even guys yes, like Jay jackson everybody has really been excellent in that bullpen and i think that that is a great insurance measure for the blue jays in case romano can't come back obviously that would be devastating if he has to miss any more than what's projected to be maybe a couple of weeks. But I think that they've set themselves up where they can manage it because of the emergence of Swanson with Hicks, with Mesa, with everybody that they got in the back end there. They have some high leverage relievers, so it does suck. But I think that they are in a pretty good uh, position whether or not Romano is able to come back at full steam. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, I think it all goes back to can they score five runs a game? And if they can score five runs a game, I think they're in pretty good shape. They might even be in good shape anyhow. And I think they're set up well for the playoffs with their run prevention. Uh, but they just have to get there. They have to, you know, get past Minnesota, you know, uh, not just beating Minnesota or whoever the AL Central uh, short bus winner is, but, uh, you know, going on to the next level there. That's the, the other question. Uh, we're going to assess the rest of this historically good division in a second. But first, a quick note from our friends at Home Run Index. We know the weather can impact how far a ball can fly, but we never know what all that heat and humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. The Home Run Forecast Index gives us an easy way to determine how good or bad the air is for ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium-specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the most unfavorable for a good ball flight and 10 indicating the most favorable air. There's a strong correlation between the index and the number of runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit. Games that have the highest index, 10 for the whole game, average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of the year. An index is created for each game, so you can see what it will be in any stadium and how the weather's influence might change over the course of the game as well as the wind direction. Right now, 
you can get access to the, the HRF premium site for only $5 a month and see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com now to sign up. Again, that's homerunforecast.com. I'm here with Joe Arico uh, from MLB Fantasy Today and, of course, Sports Ethos and Ethos Fantasy Baseball. Uh, Joe, this is, is maybe one of the best divisions in baseball, the AL East, is, and one of the best ones in all, of all time, let alone this year. All five teams over 500, just a dogfight. You know, and the, the Jays, we talked about the Jays a little bit last year. The Red Sox are the ones that really struggled against the division. This year, it's the Jays that have. It's just there's no easy landing spot here. If there is, maybe it's the Yankees, but even Which then, it's even the, weirder, right? I know, I know. And sometimes the Yankees can really go off as well, but I think they are probably the weak link at this point. But you know, to your point, that's kind of it. And even then, the Blue Jays don't always, you know, steamroll over the Yankees. In fact, they, mm-hmm. like you said, they've been awful against the whole division. Um, but it's really just ridiculous how strong it is. And I think Baltimore has been the biggest surprise, even more so yeah. than, than Tampa. Tampa started off the year, they had that really easy start. Schedule wise, they faced, I think it was like Washington and Oakland and a few of those teams and really got off to a hot start. But Baltimore is sitting here 27 games above 500 without really a true ace on their staff. It's really, really impressive. And when you look at the talent that they still have that hasn't even debuted yet, Kierstad and Norby and Mayo and all the other guys in the minors, I'm very much scared for what the next few years are going to look like as a Blue Jay fan. And then you got, you know, Boston looks pretty good. They got the young guys like Cassis and Duran. Pitching is not great, but then Tampa's always there. I'm sure the Yankees are they're never going to rebuild. They'll just retool and they'll add some guys. They're they're never going to be a horrible team year after year. They'll do something. So this division is very scary, not just as a Blue Jays fan, but if you're a fan of any of the five teams, the other four teams should really scare you. Absolutely. Uh, my concern with the Orioles is twofold. One, um, I think a lot of their run prevention success is predicated on that bullpen, and I think they're shouldering a lot of innings. We saw Bautista blow a save against the Astros earlier in the week, and then he had a bumpy save today, allowed a run, uh, but still did convert the save ultimately. Uh, and two, ownership. I mean, it reared its ugly head earlier this week with the clown show situation with the broadcaster, uh, but it's also... And, and John Angelos this is a guy that hasn't released the purse strings to try to go out and get the starting pitcher. They helped. They needed, they did get one in Jack Flaherty. And I think Flaherty, you know, he looked good against the Jays in his first one looked a little shakier uh, against the Astros. But I mean, talking about two on paper, tough matchups to begin right away off the bat. Um, but I, I don't know if they're ever going to like in the off season, are they going to like keep their powder dry again this, this off season, like they did last off season, um, is, is he going to be someone that's going to concern more with the profit margin than the, the desire to win the whole thing? The two things are so tied together, though, because you go out and mm-hmm. you acquire those big name stars, or even if it's not big name stars, if you have a successful product on the field, I'm not looking at attendance numbers right now, but I'll damn sure that they have more people in the seats this year than they did last sure. year. And that's not going to come from, you know, holding the purse strings very tight. I when I had Paul Spore on my show a few weeks ago. We were, you know, kind of willing the Orioles to make a trade for Otani or for one of those big stars. We were, you know, kind of uh, speculating on maybe it could be Otani, and they did have the talent to go and do it if they wanted to. Now, not that they would have gone out and re-signed him, but I think they are still a big piece away from competing. Either that, or they're going to wait several years until guys like Rutschman, like Henderson, and like even maybe Mullins are fully 100% there and developed. Because you, you never see it really in sports with a core this young in their early 20s 
really making deep runs in the playoffs. You know, you got examples all across the major sports of these studs, whether it's Sidney Crosby or LeBron James or whoever, they take a few years to win a championship and it doesn't come from right. just their own organization. They need other pieces. They need, um, they need some additional help and they have a lot of that help in the minor leagues, but I think they have a position of strength with their farm system where they should take a couple of those prospects, whether it's Kierstad or Norby or DL Hall or whoever, and try and turn that into somebody who could have helped them compete maybe this year. Now, I think in Angelos's mind, the window is just opening. So there's no need to mortgage the future, mortgage the farm for what could be a, a one and done in the playoffs this year. But I do think that they need to go out and spend. Now, will it be this coming off season where there's kind of not the greatest group of free agents? I doubt it. I really don't see them going out for, I mean, who is the, the outside of Otani? I think the highest profile free agent this year is Matt Chapman. Uh, there's really not a, a great group. I think Blake Snell is also going to be on the market. Maybe yep. he could be interesting for them. Will they actually spend? I doubt it. I don't remember their last big free agent signing. It's been a, it's been a good while. Um, and I don't know that they're going to be doing that this year with their window just opening yet. I think he's going to be more conservative, see what he has with the whole team, with the whole system. And then maybe in his mind, he doesn't need to make a trade. Maybe these guys develop over the next two years to the point where there are enough stars and periphery talent on the team that they can succeed without having to make moves. Maybe that's his mindset. Keep the money in-house and not have to really uh, spend a lot on free agency or in trades. Yeah. I looked it up, by the way. Uh, they're averaging about 6,000 more fans per game. Uh, so attendance is up. It's like around 23,000 per game, according to baseball reference. So uh, it's up. Uh, it's not quite packing the house just yet, but you know, you have to build that season ticket base. Uh, it, it, you know, they and the reds are very similar in that respect. The reds have actually had like 14 shutouts and then they spoiled all that goodwill by not trading for anything, but I'm not going to make an issue of that anymore on this podcast. I, I'm, I have a bad habit of turning this into reds talk and this is ALE's talk. So we'll move on. You could make the same argument for the reds that you did for the Orioles though. It's loaded farm, you know, make that trade compete now it's a similar situation that both franchises are in i think yeah i don't i i will say the one thing is you don't always get to choose when you can compete yeah. uh the cardinals aren't going to be bad forever the mets aren't going to be bad forever the padres aren't going to be below 500 very often in the future the yankees aren't going to struggle that much in the future you know they're going to reload you know they're going to be there they're not going to go through some down phase Ail central they'll probably be down uh but you know, the white Sox will probably be down for a while but uh it, it, you're in first place now. In the case of the Orioles, you're, you're in first place, not just in first place, but you got one of the best records in the league. I, I think it's a little different, right? Um, it, it's you're 27 games over 500. You're not like a hey, five games over 500. We we could we're the little boat that could. No, you're like a game and a half behind the Braves for the best record in the game. It's a, it's insane. Um, their pitching has been actually really good uh, when you look at their whole staff. I know it's mm -hmm. not the sexiest guys, but like the Kyle Gibsons of the world, uh, Kyle Bradish has been outstanding. And even Tyler Wells up until recently, I thought it was yeah. very premature to send him down the way they did. Maybe they're smarter than I am. They likely are smarter than I am. But he was three bad starts out of the break against mm -hmm. three tough offenses, and he got sent down. I also picked him for a second-half gladiator squad, so I'm a little sour about oh, that. Oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. But, um, I, I I think that maybe we will come to a point where the pitching will catch up with them a little bit. And maybe Jack Flaherty isn't enough of an addition for this year. I think he's serviceable. I think he's fine. But we're still talking about a guy with a whip over 1.5 this season, a 4.3 ERA, which is right. in, this, in this current climate, 4.3 ERA is actually not terrible. But what is their rotation going to look like in the postseason? Who gets the ball in game one? Is it Kyle Bradish? Is it Grayson Rodriguez? 
I think it's probably Bradish at this point, but I'm not, I'm really curious as to how they're going to actually align this. I think uh, it's going to be one of the Kyles, um, whether it's Bradish or Gibson. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can make an argument. Uh, well, I mean, what if Flaherty is strong the rest of the way? Maybe he like he threw 97, 98 in his his Orioles debut. He hadn't been showing that velocity with the Cardinals. Maybe he's holding back a little bit. I don't know. I mean, Grayson's obviously the wild card, right? You know, if if he dominates in the sec in the last couple months of the season, he could be their playoff ace. I mean, I, I don't think you really have to stretch too far to see the, envision that scenario. No, he's the most talented arm on the roster. It's just a matter of if it'll all be polished enough in the next two months, and if they want to mm-hmm. put him in that spotlight of having a game one playoff uh, matchup, probably which will be at Camden as well, mm-hmm. uh, if they want to have those kind of nerves on him. I think that it probably does make sense in the long run. He'll either be game one or game two, I would imagine. I can't see him getting pushed back beyond that because he has looked a lot better as of late. He's still, you know, for the season, a 584 ERA. But since he's come back up, he's looked a lot better. He's looked a lot sharper. And, I, you know, even though he is strong, Bradish is pretty strong, you could make an argument that out of the teams that are going to make the playoffs in the American League, they might have one of the weaker rotations, despite being the second best team in baseball right now. Only one game back of the Braves. They have a worse rotation than Toronto. They got, if you're just looking at the American League teams, the Twins are, you know, they're probably, with, with Ryan's healthy, Ryan and Lopez, I'll probably take them. The Rangers, mm-hmm. if they have a healthy Scherzer and Evaldi and Montgomery, I'll probably take them. Uh, I, I don't know that their pitching is that strong. And with all the young bats in the lineup, how they're going to produce in September is kind of a wild card. I would have liked, well, maybe not as a Blue Jay fan, but as a baseball fan, would have liked to have seen them maybe package up some of those prospects and go for uh a Snell or I mean they got Flaherty but maybe go for an Eduardo Rodriguez I know Rodriguez didn't want to leave Detroit it seems like but maybe that was just more of a coast thing maybe he would have stayed on the east coast Baltimore not too far off there Los Angeles massive difference so I would have liked to have seen them as a baseball fan do more but as a Blue Jay fan I'm kind of happy to see them uh, relatively sitting on their hands here I know Flaherty's a a pretty good addition and he, he showed us and I mean I tweeted something out a week or two ago saying you know go after Flaherty go after Paul DeYoung and you know go after these names if you're the Orioles and we got Paul DeYoung, the Blue Jays did, and he's been awful. But uh, Flaherty, I just, I don't know what it's going to look like. Maybe like what you said before, there was just kind of some disconnect with the Cardinals and Ollie Marmol, and we've seen it, right? We've seen it with Tyler O'Neill. We've seen it with Wilson Contreras earlier this year. Yep. Maybe the guys just didn't want to give their all playing for Marmol, and Flaherty comes. Maybe there's just some extra adrenaline, first game with a new team. Yeah. You want to pump up the radar gun a little bit, but... Maybe you're onto something there, Jeff, that the Cardinals just the culture has been so bad that the players are not putting their full effort out there this season. Yeah, it might not even be like they're tanky, but it just might be subconsciously like, yeah. you know, just like I'm not going to go out of my way for this guy, uh, especially when he threw O'Neill under the bus like that. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Yeah, Flaherty had had some conflict with the organization, even, you know, dating back a couple of years. So. Maybe this is pretty deep-seated. We'll see. It's like uh, the Corbin, Corbin Burns situation at the beginning of the year when they had the whole problem with his arbitration, yep. and he seemed upset about it. His early season performance was not good. Maybe there's a more connect between that than we want to admit. Yeah, and the problem is it's not uniform. You know, it's some players react differently. Like, oh, I'll show you. I'll have my career year. I'll bet on myself. Aaron Judge. You know, you know things. You can go that route too. Uh, let's talk about the Rays. The, you pointedly not one of the teams you mentioned as having a better rotation currently than the O's because they have nobody left. Yeah. They keep, you know, McClanahan's not going to pitch the rest of the year. Most likely we know Springs and Rasmussen are out. Uh, and Tyler Glasnow just had an epidural. I mean, yes, they traded for Safali. They, they signed Eflin as a KG signing that worked out pretty well, but Taj Bradley has not really worked out all that well yet. 
they're 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 going to probably make the playoffs. It would take an epic collapse for them not to. They're four and a half up over the Jays and six over the Mariners, so it, it would really take a collapse. But this has been a just okay team of late, and it, all you have to do is look look at the names on their roster. Look at the name. You go to any depth chart page. You have got Savali, Eflin, Zach Littell is listed as a starter, and Tyler Glass now is day to day. There's a lot of red on that there, and there's like a bullpen start or two every week. Yeah, if you go to roster resource on Fangraphs and you look at their IL rotation, it's probably the best rotation in baseball. It's on a right. very short list. Baz, McClanahan, Rasmussen, Springs. I know Glass now is technically healthy. You know, put that in quotation marks. But right, I heard you and Fred talking the other day about if this is going to you know put us off of raised pitchers in general. I think it might. Like I just I don't really know if I can trust any of these guys. Maybe it's an organizational thing. Maybe it's just a horrible coincidence this year. But I do think the Rays are in for some trouble down the stretch. If you're going to be throwing out Taj Bradley in the third game of the playoffs or whoever it is, you know, it'll probably be Glass now in the first game and then Eflin and then Savali. And then what do they do beyond that? Do they trust Zach Littell in the playoffs? Do they trust Taj Bradley? Taj Bradley looked amazing when he first came up. And then the wheels have fully come off since then. I don't know if he even makes a playoff roster. I think that the Rays are in for some trouble. I think that they are in for some trouble. I say that kind of hopefully, again, as a Blue Jay fan. But I, I don't see them competing in the playoffs with the current rotation that they have. I mean, good for them for going out and getting Savali. Savali is somebody who's outperformed his metrics quite a bit this year. He's not a big strikeout pitcher. He's not somebody that I think is going to be consistently going seven innings in the playoffs for them. I had six, seven innings. I think that once the bright lights are there for the postseason, things might look a little bit differently for some of these guys who haven't really been there uh, in earnest before. And not to say that the other guys had, you know, your Jeffrey Spings and your McClanahan's of the world, but the talent was really, really there for this to be the best rotation in baseball. At this point, they have one of the, maybe not one of the worst, but the very middling guys that they're going to be sending out there. They're not getting McClanahan back. They're not getting Springs back. I don't think they're getting Rasmussen back. Baz, I don't think, is coming back as well. I think they're in for some trouble. I think they're in for some trouble come September. Yeah, I, I and guess what? It, it, they're currently lined up to play either the Astros or the Rangers, whoever doesn't win the AL West either. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's bad news for them as well. Uh, I think that they they have done a really good job of being a bully, beating the bad teams when they uh, face them, and they're, that that's a skill. That is a good thing that they're doing that. But I, I think I, I you know I've recalled some series when they played some of the top contenders and they've struggled a little bit there, and I think that might be an issue uh, come playoff time. Um, if they had their horses, it'd be a different story, but oh. they don't. And they have good relievers, but I don't think it's as deep of a bullpen it's been in the past either. I think Fairbanks and Adam are, are, are excellent. They've, they've gotten some good work out of Kevin Kelly here and there, uh, but I, it's not the, sh- the, the bullpen that you kind of think of when you think of the Rays either. Like, oh, they've got seven arms and they're all great. Yeah, no, that has not been the case. Uh, Randy Rosarena has also been struggling quite a bit recently. Bad mm-hmm. timing for that. Wander Franco has turned it around, but he also struggled a little bit. So it wasn't even just the pitching necessarily. When you saw Yandy Diaz at the beginning of the year hitting a million home runs, that power's kind of tailed off a little bit. He's still been effective, uh, productive, I should say. But overall, this team is not what they were looking like they were going to be in the first month of the season for sure. Injuries have derailed that, but also those slumps uh, have made you see the holes in this team. And you know, every year we say the Rays are going to Ray and, and different things of that nature, but they never actually win. They never go all the way and win. They, they get far, but maybe there is a missing piece there somewhere, whether it is in the organization in terms of management or whether it is an actual super, super star level player and they're developing those in, in Franco 
and a Rosarena, but I think there is still something missing here. And maybe it's just yeah. the health component. Maybe if they just had a healthy rotation, health, they had a healthy rotation, this team would probably win 120 games. But there is something that is missing overall here, and maybe it is just bad luck. Maybe it is just every arm getting injured at the same time. But I think it is going to lead me to be more cautious next year in selecting the McClanahan's of the world, the Rasmussen's, the Glassnows, unless the price is really depressed. Because I'm, there's something suspicious going on in that organization. I'm not sure what it is, but all the injuries all the time, like maybe it's a coincidence, but it's probably not. I, I don't think it is. Well, they're a spin rate team, and I almost wonder, I, I kind of wonder, are they a max effort team too? Maybe that, that has something to do with it. It raises the question for sure. Um a lot of good hitting seasons, though. Luke Rayleigh, Harold Ramirez, uh, Isak Paredes. You look at some of the, the seasons some of these guys have had. Jose Siri is an interesting case. Yeah, I think he's a better fantasy player than real life player. 23 homers, seven, uh, seven stolen bases. A 261 OBP, though, despite that. He's, he's slugging over 500, but he just never gets on base. 16 walks, 102 Ks. It's, it's, it's literally boom or bust with him. He has one of the weirdest stat cast pages you can look at. He is yeah. first percentile in strikeout rate, seventh in XBA, first in whiff, and then you see 97 sprint speed, nine, or 89 max exit velo, 91st in barrels. It's really a tale of uh, both ends of the spectrum with him. Yep. He does things very well from a fantasy point of view. You know, 23 homers, seven steals. He'll take that, but real life, eh, I'm, not, I'm not sure there. Yeah, and and let's not forget, he probably plays really good defense. That's one thing that the Rays... Yeah. You know, pitching is defense sometimes, and they've always had great outfield defense. Between a Rosarena, Siri, Lowe, Manny Margot, they cover a lot of ground out there. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Absolutely. Let's move on to uh, the two bottom teams in the division. Well, we got to pull pair them together because they kind of belong there. They're a half game apart from each other, the Red Sox and the Yankees. I kind of thought the Red Sox were poised to actually make a run, and they're about to go get Chris Sale uh, back. They did get Trevor Story back. I mean, they've lost seven out of the last 10, though. They got swept by your Jays over the weekend. They're four games over 500. They're not a bad team, but they're incomplete. And this is another team that did zilch, zip, nada, in terms of adding to their big league roster at the deadline. Yeah, I think it comes down to the pitching and the defense that's really holding them back. They're the worst team in baseball and fielding percentage. A lot of the pitching metrics, not good. They allow the sixth highest batting average in the league. A lot of the pitching metrics, they're kind of just okay. They're usually ranking between about 17th and 22, 23 in the league. Not great, but it's the offense that has honestly really surprised me this season. They're sixth in runs per game, fourth in hits per game, seventh in OPS, sixth in slugging percentage. Their offense has been really good. Guys like Justin Turner coming in have been excellent. Jaron Duran has been one of my favorite stories of the year. Tristan yep. Cassis recently has looked oh, yeah. like he's going to be a superstar. Um, I, w- I don't want to invoke the name of David Ortiz, but my God, over the last month, he's looked like the second coming of David Ortiz in a way. Um, but the pitching has really not been there. Um, you know, Brian Bayo, is he the ace at this point? I mean, I guess it would be Sale coming back, but they're missing a, a top level arm in that rotation and probably in that bullpen as well. I think they're, they're missing a few pieces in all honesty. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what it's going to look like over the next couple of years for them. They have a lot of guys who are a little bit older. They also have a couple of younger players i just don't see what the plan is really with boston what what are they are they trying to rebuild retool try and compete in two years or something i guess that's probably what makes the most sense because they're not going to tear it down because they're just too stubborn to to fully fully commit to a tear down they re-sign devers they sign yoshida but i don't see the outlook being that 
rosy for them for the next couple of seasons. I, I just really see them as kind of just a, a maybe a bit better than 500 team, maybe a 90 win team, but there's nothing really there to point to success over the next couple of seasons. This year is a lost year for them, I think. I mean, not that they're necessarily out. They could still sneak into the last wild card spot, but they don't have the firepower uh, either on the pitching end or even in, you know, I know the offense has been good, but even there, I don't know if they're a playoff team in, in any regard, really. I think they're one of those teams could have a hot series. Um, yeah. And sales, a big key to that too, right? I mean, uh, you know, as much as an albatross, his contract has been, you know, peak sale, not even peak sale, but sale, whatever he is right now at his best can still dominate six innings. Um, yeah. And that's dangerous. That makes them dangerous. But at the same time, you just look at uh, the, the depth of that rotation. You look at their farm system, all their top prospects are hitters too. Uh, you just wonder how are they going to rebuild? And that's, I mean, that's everybody's question. And I actually think too, that's, I mean, I just, that nobody has enough pitching now. You talk the Dodgers don't have enough. The Rays don't have enough. Everybody doesn't have enough pitching. I mean, the Braves are, have been trying to add wherever they can. I mean, and they're, they're the best team in baseball and they're not settled on the pitching side of the coin too there. Uh, I just, I, I think the game is just churning these pitchers really hard too. I think the velocity revolution has had like second order effects, you know, a lot more pitchers getting hurt, a lot more, you know, we're, we deal with higher peaks, but, a lot of ramifications from that too. And you mentioned earlier, um, you know, in terms of like Manoa and the pace of the game speeding up, that might in general just lead to more pitcher injuries. I haven't I dug into that, but without the time to reset after each pitch, I when I played baseball, I was never at a terribly high level. I knew from the time I was about 15 that I wasn't going to go anywhere with it, but I was a pitcher. Mm-hmm. And I loved the control that I had. I could stand on the mound. If I wanted to take 30 seconds after the pitch, I could take 30 seconds. If I wanted to throw it in after five seconds, I could do that. The pace was all on me, and now the pace is very controlled by the clock. Certain pitchers like to take more time. You know, Chris Bassett, going back to the Blue Jays, he likes to take more time. Sometimes he will take a, a called ball just so that he can have a few extra seconds yep. to compose himself between pitches. And I think that that's something that we maybe they thought about, but I didn't fully factor into it when they were making these rule changes that – maybe they were going to throw a lot of pitchers off. Now, maybe there's been some pitchers who have liked the the heightened pace, but I think as a whole, I don't know that that did any favors for for Major League pitchers. We've seen them go down, and again, I haven't really dug into how many injuries there are this year versus last year. I'm sure somebody has, but it feels like there's more, and it feels like not only just more injuries, but more blow-up performances from ace pitchers that we've seen, and maybe we can tie it back to there's not enough time between pitches for them to actually compose themselves, get the arm ready. They're firing in another 98-mile-an-hour pitch 15 seconds later, and that's going to strain the arm more than if they had 30, 45 seconds between the pitches. So maybe that is a factor. Yeah, a while ago, maybe like six to eight weeks ago, my friend Will Carroll uh, was saying that arm in- pitcher arm injuries were up like 45%. Wow. Um, there's always uh, the fallacy issue though fundamental attribution here do we know it's strictly because of that we can't isolate the rule changes with the interest pitchers get hurt all the time as it is right you know and so you know is it this rule change is it that rule change or is it just happens to be this year you know i mean i think that's the thing that makes it so tricky you know we can you can even have a pitcher say yeah it's because i'm not getting enough rest he doesn't know that you know it it, it could have just been his turn you know and that's the thing that's so frustrating about the whole situation there uh finally the yankees uh very disappointing team right now just i feel like there's a like with the red sox i feel like there's at least a sheen of optimism with the yankees i feel like there's just a malaise right now uh rodon going on the il anthony rizzo that situation 
the kids not hitting. It's it's been a tough year for the Yankees. Yeah, and bad PR recently too with the whole Domingo Herman situation. Oh, it's been yeah. ugly. And there was another one too that I'm blanking on right now. There was another bad bit of PR they had recently. Well, Rizzo. I mean, oh, it's Rizzo, right? Rizzo. I just it's a, yeah. we're talking about an organization that was forever considered the gold the gold standard mm-hmm. and now you know by a lot of accounts they're one of the bottom five or ten organizations in baseball just in terms of how they're ran and i don't know that there's that much to look forward to either as a yankee fan um again i'm a jays fan so that doesn't bother me too much but if you're looking at it as a yankees fan perspective you got anthony volpe you got a couple of nice prospects like dominguez maybe peraza eventually comes back up and gets you know uh, a full-time job at some point and he can be very good and maybe Judge can, you know, avoid that risk or that label that he's had these last couple of years as being injury prone because he, you know, wasn't injured really last year. It was the contract year. He was healthy. Now his injury was a freak injury, but maybe there is just there are certain players that just tend to get hurt more. We saw Eloy Jimenez hop away from that brawl the other night. Didn't even seem like he was involved in it, and he's injured uh, somehow. There's some players that just have a nose for for getting yep. hurt. I hope that Aaron Judge is not one of those players. You know, the, the Chisholms and the Buxtons and the Eloys of the world. I hope he's not in that category, but he's missed a lot of time over these last several years. That's not something that I'd be terribly confident about if I'm a Yankees fan, seeing him entering the wrong side of 30, 31 now, and with a massive contract and always getting hurt. You know, Rizzo, we don't know if Rizzo's ever going to be the same again. We've seen concussions ruin careers across, you know, football and hockey specifically, but you see it in different sports like baseball as well. Rizzo, maybe he never gets back to that same level again. Now, not that he's somebody that they're really planning on for the future in the long term, but Stanton's not very good. Um, there's not really anything you can look at on the roster and point to as, you know, a bright spot. Glaber Torres, maybe, but I mean, even like that's pretty much it. The pitching is atrocious at this point. Luis Severino, I can't see him being back with the team next year. Garrett Cole is pretty much all they've got. I mean, Nestor just came back, and he's going to take some time to get worked up. He had a very good first start, but I think that overall this team is just lacking in in talent and oomph factor. There's just nobody there that's really going to push the needle forward for them. Rodon, it looked like Rodon might come back and inject something into that team, but my God, Rodon has been awful since he's come back, and now he's hurt again. So it's just I don't really know that there is much hope as a Yankee fan to look at this team and say, yeah, next year we're, we're going to turn it around, they'll do one or two things, and we'll be right back on the horse. I think that this should be realistically the start of kind of a rebuild, which is going to be very hard considering the money they just invested in Judge right. and Rodon and Rodon. So and the time. I mean, the fact is, there, it's not just one like one or two years; it's a lot of years too. I mean, they're they're locked and loaded with those guys. They they all of a sudden look old and slow real fast there, and that's that's not great. Um, you know, Volpe, Peraza, Cabrera—they needed those guys to do more. They still can do more. The story is not over with them. Uh, it, it requires excruciating patience, as Ron Chandler always likes to say. Um, I don't know if they have that in them. Um, and that's one of the problems with being the Yankees is it's harder to wait on young kids. Now, to their credit, they've played Volpe the whole year. They haven't. I mean, every once in a while he sits, every once in a while he'll go down to ninth in the order. But um, for, the, to the, for the most part, they're letting him learn on the job. And I think you kind of have to do that sometimes. But Peraza never got that chance. Yeah. Um, and Cabrera has been, is now down and he, he's been on and off for the whole time too. So that's kind of, it's, they haven't been uniformly patient. I mean, they do have like, so, like four or five top 100 prospects, at least according to James Anderson's list. So, uh, and we got to remember is Dominguez, he's like still 21. I mean, he's, yeah. 
he's not like 26 and struggling. He, he's still young enough that he could still make a big impact someday. I think we're get we get a little impatience, uh, impatient now. One of the problems with knowing more and more about prospects is we know about these Dominican summer league kid, uh, kids when they're 16 are like, why aren't they producing at the majors now? Well, maybe because they're still a teenager, yeah. you know, like what were you doing when you were 19? What were you doing when you're 21? You know, were you, were you a master of your profession? No, probably not. You know, just trying to learn how to pay a credit card bill on time sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's not easy. Uh, so, yeah, you know, patience is required for some of these guys. Now, they may bust still, uh, but I, I'd still say the story is not fully written. I just don't think the Yankees even know what they want to be. Because I think in their I own agree. heads, I think the Steinbrenners, whoever is pulling the strings, they still see themselves as the Bronx Bombers. And I don't think they'll ever not see themselves as the Bronx Bombers. But you have to have that transitional period like they had. God, this goes back before my time, but I believe it was the 80s. The Yankees were just awful. Was it the 80s? And then the 90s. Look what happened in the 90s, early 2000s. Sometimes you need that kind of reset. You need an influx of young talent, which they seem to have between the Volpes and the Perazas of the world and Dominguez. But I don't know, if, like you said, if they're going to give them that opportunity because they still have that we are the big bad Yankees mentality. We need to right. go out and compete and get these you know, Donaldson and Stanton at bats, which really are not helping anybody at this point. Let the kids play. Let them develop. And then maybe next year, maybe the year after, you're looking at three or four all-star potential players. Volpe could be an all-star in a couple of years. He's going to put up a 20-25 season as a rookie, albeit with a horrible batting average. But for your first crack at the show that's not too bad uh let them play let them develop you know continue to add pieces or tear it down but i don't know that the yankees even know their direction because they're just always caught up in we're the best and they're very far from the best right now i think they need to realize that reflect take a step back and properly assess what's wrong with this team because there's a lot wrong with this team and i don't know that they're really ready to have that conversation with themselves yet yeah um and uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of, they, they were kind of acting in between. I mean, the way they behaved at the trade deadline too, they didn't really act like a team that knew what they were doing. That's for sure. Adding Keenan Middleton and that's it. Uh, it was, it was a very odd trade deadline for them as well. All right. Uh, we've, I think we covered the uh, ALEs pretty thoroughly here, Joe. Um, tell everybody again, where everybody, where they can hear you, how often they can hear you and where they can find all your work. Well, first, I want to say thank you very much for having me on here, Jeff. Sure. Uh, it's been great to get to know you over the last year, golfing last year in Arizona. We're going to be doing that again pretty yes, soon. Um, but you guys can check me out. I'm over on Twitter or X or whatever you guys are calling it these days, uh, at JoeOrico99, just my name, and then the number 99 at the end. Um, with Sports Ethos, well, you guys can find all the content at SportsEthos.com. And on Twitter as well, if you guys go to our Twitter page, it's the same at uh, you'll find links to all of our different shows, uh, podcasts, articles, different polls, news and notes, all of our content uh, you can find there. With basketball season coming, uh, definitely be sure to check out Sports Ethos. We've been we've been doing basketball a lot longer than we've been doing any other sport, and that's kind of our bread and butter. So uh, make sure you guys are checking that out. All right, for sure. We got to get Waylon over to you guys uh, or Barutha too, if if you ever need a guest, because uh, we got we got some pretty dedicated hoop guys, including my co-host on SiriusXM. All right, that's going to wrap up today's pod. Two-star starters coming up tomorrow with Clay and Todd. Thanks for listening to Rotowire.